Good evening, and welcome to the Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Tonight, a tale of ice cream, neon lights, and demonic whispers. If you're driving through the countryside, avoid the neon glow, was originally released June 16th of 2021, and is read to you tonight by Nightshift Ruminations and Jen Kirk, with musical backing by Tim Beek and Petar Merdian. This story belongs to a collection of ice cream-themed tales that all connect into one big creamy story. If you have a sweet tooth and don't want to miss out on any of the stories, make sure to check back for future entries on your podcasting platform of choice. New episodes of the Cabinet of Fever Dreams come out every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. With all that said, drive carefully, for there is a blinding neon light that haunts these roads. Mr. Mobino, why do bad things happen to good people? I work as an ice cream man. I love my job. There's plenty of money to be earned waiting outside of elementary schools in the city, but my daily route snakes its way through the countryside. The kids in the city live a life of overstuffed comfort. They have their Game Boys and hot baths and supermarkets to keep them happy. The kids in the village are different. Every afternoon, they wait outside of their cottages for my arrival. They laugh, they cheer, they dance around the muddy roads in joy. It is only when comfort is rare that it actually means something. I spent a good chunk of my childhood living in a village just like the ones I drive through. I know rural life is tough. Being able to bring the children any amount of respite is an honor. I take pride in my work. It makes me feel like a good person. Mr. Mobino, why do bad things happen to good people? My daily route through the villages was specific. This was partially because I am a creature of habit, but mainly because of a little girl named Annie. She lived in the last village on my route, the final little bastion of civilization before the dark woods began. From the day I met her, I made sure my shift would end the moment I served her village. When I first saw her, she was standing apart from the crowd of happy kids. She was hiding in the nearby bushes, clothes smudged in dirt and eyes full of hunger. I beckoned her over and offered her a free ice cream. She said she couldn't eat ice cream because it made her sick. So I offered her a candy bar. She swallowed it in three bites. Annie was an orphan. Her parents died in a car crash. Mine died in the war, so we had plenty to talk about. Mr. Mobino, why do bad things happen to good people? Every day I would bring her a chocolate bar and check up on her. I told her fairy tales, I entertained her with stories from my childhood. I listened to her. It quickly became apparent that her legal guardian wasn't doing the bare minimum to make sure she was safe. A drunk uncle who was known to enjoy theft, he left her hungry most nights and did nothing to help her process the death of her parents. 
Yet she still got food from the schoolhouse, and the occasional family member would appear at times to make sure her mistreatment wasn't criminal. I know this country's orphanage system. I doubt it has changed over the years. Not wanting Annie to go through the same hell I did when I was her age, I decided that I would keep an eye on her instead of the state. Every day I would bring her a chocolate bar and we would chat. Somewhere in the back of my head, I had dreams of adoption papers and bringing her on as an assistant. But I thought there was plenty of time for that. Mr. Mobino, why do bad things happen to good people? I remember she asked me that the afternoon before the accident. What I don't remember is my response. There are other memories that are significantly more vivid from that day. It couldn't have been later than six in the afternoon. I was making my way back to the city through the valley roads and the occasional patch of forest. The windows of the ice cream van were rolled down and I was enjoying the warm summer air. Then, things went dark. Out in the countryside, there's plenty of roads where the trees tower past the sun. Yet the forest I drove through was dark enough for me to have to turn on my nightlights. I remember being concerned about that. I also remember having to roll my windows up. There was a discomforting chill in the air. Everything changed so suddenly. I didn't even have the chance to make sense of it all when I saw him. Right in the middle of the road, barely reaching my headlights, stood a faint silhouette of green. I rolled down my windows again in hopes of asking the man if he was okay, but when I leaned out of the van and opened my mouth, no words came out. It was as if something had suddenly slithered into my throat and grabbed at my voice cords. Mute and confused, I honked. The figure turned around and started to walk towards me. With each step, the green silhouette grew brighter. Within a couple of seconds, the whole forest was shining bright with a blinding neon light. The figure had no face. All I could see was the green glare. I could also hear whispers. They seemed to be coming all around me, getting louder and louder as the figure came nearer. The words that the voices spoke were completely foreign to me, but I can tell that they were angry. Their whispers grew louder, the light grew brighter. The figure knocked on my window. That's the last thing I remember. A cacophony of choked screams, blinding neon light, and then... A knock that made everything go dark and quiet. I woke up in my apartment, still wearing my uniform and apron. My spit tasted of iron, and I was horribly confused, but somehow I convinced myself that what had happened was something that could be easily explained with a clear head. It was already dark outside. I didn't know what happened to me, but... I figured sleeping on it would be the best course of action. 
That night I spent silent dreams of shapeless, burning neon. Those nightmares have plagued me every night since. I woke the next day to find myself drained. I felt like nothing but skin and bone. The inside of my mouth still tasted of blood, regardless of how many times I spit out Listerine. I felt ill, but I knew the village children were waiting for me. My condition didn't get any better as I sold the ice cream, even though none of the children seemed to mind my state by the end of my shift, I was barely able to string a sentence together. As soon as I could, I made an appointment with a doctor. It would take about a week for me to get seen, but I didn't think it would be much of an issue. I thought I'd be fine in a week. I wasn't. Every day, whatever sickness was festering in my body got worse. My body felt weaker. The occasional coughing fits became more regular. I started finding loose hairs in my cap. Throughout the week, my body crumbled further beneath the whispering neon strain. I drove through the patch of forest where I had seen the neon creature every day of the week. I kept on expecting to see it again or at least to re-experience some of the insanity I had witnessed that afternoon, but nothing came. I was just driving through a shady patch of road. Whatever was wrong wasn't outside of the ice cream van. It was inside of me. The doctor wasn't much help. He blamed my ailments on some generic idea of stress and only found interest in the fact that I was coughing up blood. He sent me to a lung specialist for that. The next available appointment was in two weeks. That night, just like all the nights since my encounter with the unknown, I dreamt of formless shapes of neon. Yet that night, the dreams weren't silent as they were before. That night I could hear those foreign whispers again. They were louder than before. They were angrier. It wasn't just the whispers that were different that night. That night didn't end with me waking up in my bed. I woke up behind the wheel of my ice cream van, approaching the first village on my route. It was as if someone had spliced out my entire morning with reality suddenly rushing at me, I nearly ran over the children chasing after the van. Luckily, no one was injured and the children were still excited about getting their ice cream. Not being able to remember a single part of my morning scared me. But it wasn't until I came to the next village that I tasted true terror. Most of the ice cream the village kids buy comes from my soft serve machine. In the back of my truck, however, I have a freezer where I keep brand name ice cream for the more picky kids. Samco, the mayor's son, was one of those picky kids. He asked for a magnum. I have always taken pride in being able to keep up good appearances in front of the village children. But when I checked the freezer for Samco's order, I screamed. For a moment, I let the shock and fear completely consume me. Among the 
frost-covered frozen treats, shiny with blood, sluggishly beating hearts. My freezer was filled with beating hearts. The children asked why I was screaming. I played it off as a joke. I played it off as a joke and sold Samco his magnum. For the rest of my shift, I refused to sell anything other than soft-serve ice cream and the scoops of vanilla I had directly on hand. I didn't want to look into that freezer again. I didn't want to acknowledge what was happening to me. When I met Annie at the end of my shift, she was distraught about the village children throwing stones at her for being an orphan. I didn't want to let that neon green nightmare that was festering in the back of my head stop me from making her feel better. I ignored the steadily growing whispers echoing through my skull, and I told her how she shouldn't let the opinions of the others get to her. To illustrate my point, I started to tell her a fairy tale. But I couldn't. Those whispers, that oppressive energy that lingered among them, it wouldn't let me. Just as I started telling Annie the story about the king and his three daughters, I was seized by a coughing fit. My eyes filled with a sickly green glow. I could feel the freezer beneath my hands. The hearts inside of it were beating. The hearts inside of it were beating, and something in my core demanded I feed the living flesh to Annie. Mr. Mabino? Are you okay? There's... something with me in this truck. What do you mean, Mr. Mabino? The fear in her eyes. For a moment, a rush of shame from making Annie scared washed out the whispers. Yet they returned almost instantly. The world appeared to me through a shade of green. Sorry, Annie, I have to go. I'll see you tomorrow. I didn't go home after my shift. I drove straight to my neighborhood church. And I'm not one for organized religion, but I know deep in my bones that what I was dealing with was not from the realm of man. I came to the church in hopes of finding some answers, of finding some way to cleanse my soul of that neon glare. Yet my efforts were worthless. The closer I walked to the church door, the louder the whispers got. The closer I walked to the church door, the brighter the green glare was. By the time I touched the handle of the house of God, I was blind. When I came to, I was in my apartment, still dressed like an ice cream man. I do not know what I have done to deserve this fate, but my mind is sober enough to know that it will only grow worse. Mr. Mobino, why do bad things happen to good people? I have done everything in my power to lead a good life, to do things that made the world a better place. Yet the reins of my soul have been taken away. I made a complaint to child services about Annie's uncle. With the poison that is drifting through my spirit, I know I will never be able to take care of her. 
I just hope that the orphanage system will treat her better than it treated me. Inside of my ice cream van there is a plastic bag filled with two dozen chocolate bars and a single letter. I wrote it fearing that I would not be able to speak. I wrote it in hopes of explaining to her what happened to me. But I scarcely understand myself. I just hope she listens to me and stays away. I don't want her to see me like this. I don't want to hurt her. The world is disappearing beneath a rush of migraine green. My body is no longer my own. I fear what I have become. I fear what I will do. If I can do one last good deed before the cursed whispers seize my mind, let me leave you with a warning. If you're driving through the countryside, avoid the neon light. Calendar of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Mikey J. Horton, Alan Rawl, Puss, Bob Condrick, Chicken Mixer, and Daniel Wengel. If you'd like to join these fine people and support the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash Mike J. Langer. That's all for tonight. See you all on the next episode of The Cabinet of Fever Dreams.
The Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Lucky J. Horton, Alan Rawl, Kuss, Bob Kondurk, Chicken Mixer, and Daniel Wengel. If you'd like to join these fine people and support the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash Mike J. Langer. That's all for tonight. See you all on the next episode of The Cabinet of Fever Dreams.